Looking forward to spending some time with you in Scripture today, but before we get to that, uh, just a couple of things for you to be mindful of, and that is you may, uh, last week you were probably part of the group that started getting the signs uh, out in our yards about Room for Doubt. We have 24 other churches or 23 other churches joining us in that endeavor. As a matter of fact, I heard from another one last night to say if they could jump on board, which would make 25. And uh, we want to be certain that we pray about that as a congregation for not only the role we have, but other churches have for Room for Doubt than our own um, the bike event coming up in the outreach endeavors of the church. So starting tomorrow, uh, you can get texts as a prompt either on your phone or via email to uh, get in touch with all of that. And so uh, here's how you do that. You could text the word first Decatur to 24587. Maybe you did that some time ago and you get those daily prompts or those, they were coming three times. For the next 21 days, we're going to do them for 21 days in a row. I would encourage you to do this. Take a look at it and then click on the, uh, on the um, link. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that word. It was just gone. Appreciate that. That's why we hired you to get that word. <laughs> Have that word right there at the tip. No, great job. Good job. Jonathan and some folk from our congregation have put this together. And so uh, you could, you, if the prompt will give you a few things, but if you go on the link, you'll get a full text and, and so forth and so on. So we'd invite you to pray and to get involved in that. And then one other event, and that is September 1st. He'll, 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 that'll come back to me. I know it will, won't it? Yeah, okay. September 1st at Grace United Methodist, all the churches that are involved in Room for Doubt are going to be gathering at 6.30 in the evening. Maybe you saw that in your bulletin. Did you catch that? Third thing in right there talks about September 1st, 6.30 prayer uh, for all the congregations involved, and I would love to see you there as well, okay? So... This morning, I want to start uh, our time together, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, but I want to start, uh, while you're looking for that, with this thing right here. This is my trombone. I've had it since the fall of 1977, so it's coming up on almost 40 years old. It's, it replaced the student model I had in high school. I bought it while I was in college, and I was, uh, many of you may know this, I studied trombone uh, in college. That was my major. I was a trombone major. And had uh, every intent of doing, uh, playing my horn as for a living for the rest of my life, or piano, whatever the case may be, and had already begun making money doing that, and uh, had every reason to think that that would be my career. In the uh, Christmas of my sophomore year, and this is a long time ago, 1977, we had electricity back then. We had telephones. There was even television, of all things. Um, and people had gone to the moon already by then, okay? So um, in this Christmas of that year, when I was 19 years of age, I went home for Christmas from Oklahoma to Vancouver, British Columbia, where my parents live. And when I got there, I learned that a friend of mine had made some choices that, um, well, those choices that had been made changed that friend's life, changed my life, and frankly, rocked my world. And went back to school in January of that year, 1978 then, completely um, at odds with life. Couldn't figure out how I was going to manage what I had learned, the choices that had been made, and um, I didn't have a path for dealing with how horrible the circumstances had become. I eventually um, stopped losing sleep. I, I started to lose sleep about it, and so I stopped going to class. And um, by the middle of January, I was in deep trouble academically and, frankly, emotionally and spiritually. 
My response to that was to start praying, and so I would get out of bed in the middle of the night in those sleepless nights, and I would kneel down beside my bed, and I'd pray for the situation at home. And my roommate would wake up, we were in single beds, and he'd be, you know, three or four or five feet over the room, and he would say, Wayne, what you doing? I'd say, I'm praying, okay, and he'd go back to sleep. Then I'd make some other noise a little bit later in the, day, in the evening or nighttime, three, four o'clock in the morning. He'd wake up, you still praying? Yeah, I'm still praying. And uh, I went along like that for a number of weeks. And as I went along, it became apparent to me that the issue that really was not what was going on in Vancouver, though that was very distressing, was that in the, deep down in my belly, I knew that God was working and doing something really unusual within me, and that questions were moving now from what was going to go out on the West Coast to what was going to happen to Wayne Kent, to me. See, I desperately wanted God's will for my life. I knew that as a 19-year-old. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do, frankly, as long as it was music. As long as I'll desperately do what you want me to do, God, as long as it's what I want to do. And over a period of time, it began to be quite known to me that God really didn't consider that a surrender. Um, And so the prayer really began to shift and say, okay, God, what is it you really want me to do? And this horn, even today, 38 years later, is still unbelievably familiar to me. And um, it's like part of who I am. But it came down to this. Would I be willing to give this up? The question that I was faced with over and over again. What if God said, Wayne, I don't want you to be a musician any longer. What will you do with that? (laughs) I I didn't know how to respond to that at first. Though I think eventually because I needed sleep. I was so tired. One night I finally said, God... Okay, I'll stop being a musician. I'll do whatever it takes to be in your will. In retrospect, I realized I learned something quite dramatic as a 19-year-old. That walking with God and following his plan for my life was more important than anything I wanted to do. I wanted to do God's will. And I wanted to know what God's will was. And I think even here it is, many years later, I still have that same sense within me. God, I want to be certain that I do your will. What's your will for me? I'm faced with this decision. You're faced with those decisions. Sell the house, buy a new house. Change careers, have another baby. You know, college kids, we've got college kids here today. What, what major should I have? Should we stay here in Decatur? Those kind, what's your will for us, God? My dilemma and your dilemma is the same dilemma that I faced when I was 19 years of age. What about my desires versus God's desires? And what about the things that God has given me that I'm really good at? Do I have to give them up? What about all the things and the places that I've worked hard for? Do I have to give those up? Well, look with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, or, uh, and, and you'll find some page numbers on the screen behind me. Can you go back one slide, guys, just so they can catch that? Thanks, okay? So if you just grabbed a Bible, there's, depending on which one you pulled up, there's the, the page numbers for you. It's about this far through the Bible, almost to the end, okay? And at the very beginning of Romans chapter 12, this is what the Apostle Paul says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Okay, you want to know what God's will is? His good, pleasing, and perfect will? What do you have to do? Apparently, you have to be willing to um, do something about a living sacrifice. You know, we've been looking at the book of Romans for the last few weeks, and we will for a few more weeks yet. And I've been saying every week that grace is all over this, that the book of Romans teaches us all about how God's grace can be infused in our lives and can change our lives and how our sins can be forgiven and so forth. And we've said that it's a very legal document that's got all, you gotta have this in mind and this in mind and you gotta keep that intention. And whereas this comes into play and because of this and in light of that, we've said if you can do all of that, then you'll get to a therefore, and this is the therefore. This really is the primary therefore of Romans. And it says that this, this business is that we've said, okay, it's all about how it's all covered in grace. God's grace can be all over you. The way in which Jesus Christ wants to work in your life, that grace can cover you completely. But be mindful, the gospel in and of itself is not about you. Oh yes, you get to participate, I get to participate. But the gospel in and of itself is all about what Jesus has done for us. Look at how Paul starts that whole conversation. At the very beginning of the book, Paul says this. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God. He's saying, I'm gonna tell you what the gospel of God is. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets. What's it about? What's the gospel all about? It's regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. It's all about Jesus Christ. And if, as we then go back to Romans 12 saying, okay, everything that we're going to read and deal with today is about Jesus Christ, it's focused on him, then what's with Romans 12? Where is Jesus found in that? Well, it's, you could put it this way. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's all about Jesus, yes, but what does, Romans 12 answers this question about what you're gonna do with Jesus. In light of all the grace that we've been talking about in recent weeks, what are you gonna do that? What, what should be done in light of all that God has accomplished in us through Jesus Christ? We've done the whereas, we've done the because, because we've done in light of, what should you do? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of the grace, live your life as a living sacrifice. Uh, I was doing really well with the grace till you got to the sacrifice part, Wayne. I'm not so thrilled with the sacrifice part. I mean, I sacrificed a piece of meat on the, on the grill last night. I didn't mind being the sacrificer. No one, including that piece of meat, ever wants to be the sacrificee, right? Okay, you want me to be a living sacrifice. How am I going to do that? That's what I figured out at that bedside years ago. I figured out that my heart was shaped like this, if you will. My will, my desires, my intent for my life, my connection with this instrument was shaped this way. And if I was going to pray, God, I want to do your will, then I have to be willing to let my desires be shaped into his desires so that I die to who I am and I live to what Christ wants to do in me and through me. And that's scary 
Because it means I have to say, okay, that portion of my life over there, I'm willing to lose it for the better part of what you want to do in me and through me, God. And I, I've got to find grace and experience grace. It, it, it involves a heart change. It involves a change of your will. It involves a change of opinion. That's why Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but do what? Do you see the but there, what you're supposed to do instead? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I, when I think about our hearts being changed, I, I was this, it was, this is how it was. God, I'm so desperate to do your will that I want your best plans for me to be my desires. And if my old desires have to disappear, I'm cool with that. I'll put the horn away. If that's not what you want for me, I'll do that because I want my wants to be your wants. You know, 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, the prophet Jeremiah figured this out, that this is the way in which the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ was going to be brought into people's lives. Speaking on behalf of God, he said this, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In other words, I'll, I'll shape their hearts in a new way. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. I'm going to change what hap- how things go because no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll know me from the least to the greatest. So it doesn't matter where you are spiritually, where you are on a continuum from, from knowing a lot to knowing a little, They'll all know me from the least to the greatest, and I'll forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. We all like the business. Okay, I want my sins to be forgiven because we, we don't want shame. None of us like shame. I know that. Shame is such a horrible experience. But beyond that, did you know that beyond getting rid of the, the forgiveness, uh, beyond getting rid of the sins in your life and having complete forgiveness, a new heart for you is also available where your heart will reflect the heart of God for you? And that has implications for us. It's found right here, Romans chapter 12. Carry on reading with me, beginning in verse 3. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace, again, we're going to see grace all over this. I'm no longer going to conform to the pattern of this world. I'm going to have my mind renewed. I'm going to have a new approach to life. And what's that like? Well, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function. In other words, my leg is different than my arm, which is different than my ear, okay? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Within the body of Christ, within the church, and within individual congregations, each person is not the same. From the least to the greatest, grace has been given, a new heart is available, Verse 6, we have different gifts according to what? The grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. In other words, if it's speaking the word of God, do that, okay? If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What's going on there? Well, we've said earlier on in the, in the passage that Paul has said, you want to you be... You want to have your heart and mind conform to the image of God, conform to the way God wants you to, do, to live your life. How are you going to do that? Then he says, well, here are some ways. And he gives a list of the things God's, what, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Different people, things for different people, but as to use the gifts that within us and that God has placed there. Some of them are spiritual gifts, some of them may be abilities or just talents, but all of them are to be used by God for God's glory in the various ways that his grace is distributed in those gifts and abilities. 
You can see some of them listed here. Prophesying or serving or teaching or giving and showing mercy. And there are other lists within other places in Scripture that carry that list on even further. We can't get into all the, li- the definition of all the different abilities or gifts in the, in t- because of time today. But here's the bottom line. The point is that God's will can be found in different ways in different people. And we have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll shift who I am and I'll let my mind, let my heart, let my soul be changed to conform to what you want to do in me and through me. Now, we saw this happen recently when we sent 38 people to Cuba. And I've asked two of those people to come and join me on stage here today and to um, help us put that into um, a little better understanding so you can see how it was for them to say, okay, God, I'll do this. It's out of the norm for me, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. So Katrina and Landon are coming. We sent, we sent 38 adults and more teenagers than adults. Um, it was a trip that was specifically designed for those who are juniors and seniors in high school. And um, thanks for helping me out this weekend, guys. They've done this four times. <laughs> so um, that's a commitment right there. Why did you go, Landon? Why did you go? Um, you know, well, I, I had never been on a mission trip before, and um, this time I just felt God calling me to go and um, telling me to experience what was happening down there and to join the Christians in sharing the love of God. So, um, and with all the stuff that's happening with America and Cuba, who gets to say that they're being a part of history? So. Yeah, so it was cool. Why did, why did you go? Katrina? Uh, My story is a little bit different. Uh, I have the pleasure of serving in the well and working specifically with the varsity, which would be our juniors and seniors in high school. And so when Josh came to me and said, hey, we have this great mission opportunity, we get to go to Cuba. I said, no, I don't. I'm not going to Cuba. Um, And my daughter Madeline, who uh, is a senior in high school, said, yes, I've always wanted to go to a communist country. I'm thinking, wow, we're on different ends of the spectrum here. Um, But I also had thought about all of my reasons or excuses why I I shouldn't go. You know, I'm a mother, a wife, I work full time. You know, if there's two of us going, there will be double the cost. And then, again, this this is a communist country. Were you scared? I I was, I was. But the... God put a a place in my heart um, when I was praying about this in... I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. Um, and so I was willing to take that chance. Were you scared, Landon? Go on, well, tell, tell me about going through customs and immigration. Yeah, say, customs immigration is the first one, right? Because you have to go in a little booth and they take your photo and it's like, ooh. That's right, yeah. By yourself. So <laughs> you got to. But no, you did, did you get to go through the. Did you guys go through the booth together? No. No, you didn't get Separately. to do so you got an 18-year-old, you're about to turn 18, right. you got to go stand there in front of a, a communist official and say, I want in your country. Yeah, there's definitely fear in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but another thing I was scared of was uh, being my first missions trip. I didn't really know like, what to expect and how to mingle with the culture down there and the people. Um, so I think the fear of the unknown was kind of, um, it, that affected me. Sound familiar, anyone? The fear of the unknown when it comes to say, okay, I'm going to go do something or let God use these gifts, these Romans 12 gifts or the other gifts in Scripture, and I'm going to have my heart shaped differently, and you go, I don't know how that's going to... What what was the big learning, do you think, Katrina? I think for me, I've I've been fortunate enough to to be involved in a mission here in the U.S., and then that was my first uh, outside the U.S. mission trip. 
and to serve in different ways, but that God is calling me and calling us as Christians to continue to serve and to mission in that we don't need to wait necessarily for a trip to Cuba that might take you out of the country for eight days or you know, for our well kids to go to Ohio, but we can serve him in so many different ways. Right. And we need to actively look for those, those opportunities. What, what, what shocked you as you were there, do you think? What shocked me? Oh, definitely the, um, the people. Their, their immense love for God and just um, they, they, they worship God in like kitchens and garages. So, um, and just to see them pouring out their love and worship and just being a part of that was just um, the biggest shock for me. I think the same for me. If you look at that photo up there, you can see the pastor wearing the green shirt. Uh, their commitment to, to worship is incredible. Uh, I think sometimes we here in the United States, we can get distracted with so many other things to do. And, and they, they go to that church. We were at that church. We were at that, that was one of our worship sessions. Right. And it was hot. That green shirt was not multicolored green, it was sweat. <laughs> it was 90, what do you think, 90, 95 degrees uh, in there. And, yeah, and, and the people 200% that came, humidity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The people that came, came because they wanted, they wanted to worship and they wanted to be a part of us. And they were, they were so loving. And even with the different languages that we spoke, we all were able to worship the one God who That's was right. called on us. What's the overall lesson for you? 18 years old, coming up on 18. Yeah, in a month. Um, I think the overall lesson for me was uh, I, I found a greater understanding of my relationship with God over there. Um, every night I'd pray and I'd journal about my experiences. And uh, coming home, I just felt you know, closer to, to God. Can you thank these guys for uh, going on your behalf? Thanks, guys. There are 36 or other stories about how people end up in Cuba on that particular trip and the implications in their lives. I want you to see that uh, in verse 6 of Romans 12, he says this, we each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do you notice there's grace all over it? You can rejoice in the things that God has given you. They can rejoice all those who went and the other things that we did this summer in terms of mission, all the people engaged can rejoice that God used their gifts in different ways. By the way, back up to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and see what's required to be able to pull this off in this rejoicing in this grace. It says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the Faith God has distributed to each of you. So there's this grace and this faith that's all around this. And then he says, by the way, do, a, do an honest assessment of yourself. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment doesn't mean it's, man, I'm negative. I'm no, I mean, it's not self-hatred in any way, but it's to say I am aware of who I am in God and the grace that he's given us and given me specifically. And so based on that sober judgment, I have make an assessment of my life, both of um, my good qualities and the places in my life that might need to be changed. And that's very helpful for us as Christians in terms of being used by God and saying, I'll be this living sacrifice, because two ways I want to show you that this is very helpful. That first, since we receive grace to do all this stuff and to be these people and to be engaged in active service, if you will, 
We must then be careful. We must be certain to extend grace in the way in which we use those respective gifts. Christians can never lord it one over the other because of their gifts. Jesus himself in in the book of Mark said that one of the markers, one of the characteristics of people who follow him, that we could be seen by the way in which we serve one another, that we don't lord it over each other. Whether your gift be very visible in the life of the church or the community, whether it be unseen, it can never be a case where you go, well, I've got my gift and I'll use it the way I want to. I've got my gift and I'll use it the way I want to as long as I get to be a professional musician all my life. Sounds silly to say it like that, doesn't it? But isn't that sometimes how we act? I'll serve, but I'm going to serve in the way in which I want to serve. That's the first thing. Make certain that we extend grace to one another. And then secondly, as we extend grace, that can never be a license to act as if there are no consequences for our actions outside of our service. Here's what I mean. Sadly, we all know of stories of people or we know people who, while they claim to be Christian, and I have every reason to believe they are, but then they have actions that bring ill repute to their faith and to our faith. And we struggle with what to do with those folk and what to do with our own lives when we find ourselves not measuring up to who we claim to be. These days, the newspapers are ablaze with stories of Christians who've fallen down in their life choices, and the result is tragic for those individual Christians, it's tragic for us as a community of faith, it's tragic for those who are not followers of Jesus Christ who then say, well, I'm never going to trust a Christian again, it's tragic for the church as a whole. We had another story this week, maybe you've been following this, where a young man, well-known across the nation, family of some renown has made this tremendous mistake, online activity. And now, I read stories yesterday about the Duggars where this woman out of New York was saying, well, this just is, the fact that he made this mistake and he claims to be a Christian just proves that you might as well be telling your teens we should tell our teens to go have sex outside of marriage because they won't make the mistake that Josh Duggar made. And I want to go, well, that's absurd logic. That's absolutely absurd logic. He made a mistake just like everybody else, or lots of people do, if you will. His is different than yours or mine, but nonetheless, I'd invite you to pray for that family because there are lots of people just anxious to see Christians fall. That's why using our gifts appropriately is so important. We can't come off as Christian moralists preaching doom and gloom and rules all the time. No way. A life of religious moralism is offensive to those outside the faith. Unless... Grace is involved because grace is never offensive. And friends, no matter how we use our gifts for the sake of others, if we do it right, the moralizing and um, language of rules dissipates and grace becomes evident through service. So having said all that, which is what basically we've been doing for the last four weeks. Having said all that, we've been waiting for a therefore. We've had whereas, 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 week after week after week. Chapter 12 is the, is the therefore. Based on everything that God has done for us through Jesus Christ, what do we do? I've put it this way for you. That whereas Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, whereas you have accepted that forgiveness, whereas your sins are now completely hidden by God, from God, this is all Romans chapters 1 through 11, okay? Whereas Christians are God's children and where grace, whereas grace has been given, what do we do? Therefore, Christians choose a lifestyle of sacrificial living using their grace-given gifts with an attitude of graceful servanthood. Grace is all over it. And I thought, again, this week, to make it perhaps a little more um, easy to understand, we'd take... 
that pat those statements there and change them from third person to first person. I'd invite you to read it out loud with me, okay? Reading together. Whereas Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, whereas I have accepted that forgiveness, whereas my sins are now completely hidden from God, and whereas I am God's child, whereas grace has been received, Therefore, I choose a lifestyle of sacrificial living, using my grace-given gifts with an attitude of graceful servanthood. So what's God's will for you? Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of grace, live a life as a living sacrifice. Do that this week. The gifts that God has given you will come into play. Now, I, I, I want to close my time here today with um, going back to this horn with, with a, a small ca- caution. You know, in preaching school, seminary, one of the things you're taught is that when it comes to preaching, you have to be very careful that you don't tell a lot of stories where, you end up the pre- where the preacher ends up as the hero. It's one thing to make fun of yourself, but don't be the hero in all the stories because otherwise it comes off as that you you come off as moralizing or super spiritual or mature in a way that we all know preachers are not. But I want to tell you how this played out for me, this business of kneeling by my bedside at 19 years of age and how it's impacted my life. Here it is many years later. I finally came to the place one night where I said, God, I'll put my horn away and I'll change my thinking that I'm no longer a professional musician. I'm not going to do that for the rest of my life. On Friday night of that week, a well-known Christian band was going to be on campus and all the guys on my wing in our dorm decided that we were going to go. And so we went and there were about five, 6,000 people in that room. We sat literally on the very back row of the balcony. And they had this great concert and they had this phenomenal band and the rhythm section was just to die for. And these brass players were playing licks and I'm going, oh, that's really cool, but I'm not a musician anymore. I'm stepping away from it. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do, but I'm not a musician anymore. The concert went along and at the end of the concert, uh, the guy who was leading the group said, hey, by the way, before we close tonight, I want you to know this, that... uh, We've got a couple of people who are gigging with us tonight who have been with us for the last few weeks who are not going on the road with us. Our trombone player and our keyboard player um, are going to be leaving the group in a few weeks and we're looking for, to replace them with a permanent player. Um, and so tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and he named the place, we're going to have auditions and if you're here today and you'd like to audition, you, we'd love to see you. Well, I'm thinking I'm not a musician anymore. I mean, I know how to play trombone, I don't know how to play keys, um, but I should, I've had this long prayer session with God for weeks. We got back to the dorm and the guys go, hey, Wayne, did you hear they're looking for a trombone player and a keyboard player? And I said, yeah. and they said, we dare you to go try out. Well, you don't dare a 19-year-old to go do something. <laughs> so the next morning at 10 o'clock, I went down there and I played the charts, I, um, both on my horn and at a keyboard and um, played with the band. And it was okay. I mean, I, it was fine. And I, you know, I did my dare, went back to the dorm and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to catch up on class, all that sort of stuff. About 10 days later, the phone rang. This is Wayne Kent. Hello, Wayne. This is Warren Merkel with Living Sound. And uh, we're in Alabama, and we remember the audition that you had back in Tulsa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've done all our auditions, and we'd like you to join the band. And I want you to catch the irony of this. 
In my willingness to give up playing, a new offer was made. I, I said, what? You know, I'm a college student, right? You want me to drop out of school? That'd be your decision. Where, what, what do you want me to do? Well, we'd want you to meet us in New York in 10 days, 10 days, and we're going to go to Europe. And we'll be there for six months, and it's all expenses paid. There'll be a, a stipend and a salary, and um, at the end of six months, you can go back to school. And we'll, be back. we'll have you back in school by next fall. Do you want to come? I called my dad. <laughs> I mean, I'm a college student. What, what kid in the February of a sophomore year gets permission from a parent to drop out of school? Right? You can imagine that. I gave him this scenario, and Dad said, Wayne, uh, I think you should do it. I'm saying, but I, no, I think you should do it. Go figure out what it would cost to drop out of school. You know, there's going to be a cost. So I went down to the business office, and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about dropping out of school. Can you tell me what my costs are to date with room and board and schooling and everything and how, versus how much I've paid? How much would I owe you? And the lady, I remember, sitting at the desk, did the calculation. She said, you'd owe us 25 cents if you drop out tomorrow. I said, here's my quarter. <laughs> I met him in 10 days in New York. And you know how, for those of you who've heard those stories of you know, I spent my 20th birthday in the Soviet Union, my 21st birthday in the Soviet Union. It took me a few years to get back to school. I did get back to school and finish that degree and everything, but I think about the irony of that and my willingness to say, God, shape me to be the shape you want me to be. And then in the midst of that, God moved. I want to tell you this, though. It's a lot of years ago, and this instrument still feels as familiar in my hands as it did then. And I've played it a lot since then as well. But it's not my God anymore. It's not what I live for. And it's not what I choose to say, okay, this is what's in charge. Friends, the Bible says in view of God's mercy, in light of everything that's happened, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be a living sacrifice. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know what horn you're holding on to, but let it go. Let it go and let God be in charge. Would you pray with me, please? Let's stand together, please, as we pray as a matter of fact, okay? God, you're aware of all the various gifts and abilities, talents within this room. You're aware of our hearts, God, and the places where we say, well, you can do this in me, but as long as, and we kind of put parameters around it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to be in a space where we would say, Lord, you be in charge and you shape us. And then, Lord, we're even willing to say we will die to our own choices and our own desires so that your desire and your choices would be seen in us and through us. God, there are people in this room today who need to know of your power and your direction in their lives with all kinds of decisions. Help them, Lord, to experience and to work out those decisions based on not conforming to the pattern of the culture around us, but through the transforming of their mind. And as Jeremiah said so many eons ago, that you're going to put a new law in their heart 
And they're going to experience your grace in a powerful way. We thank you for all the things of Jesus Christ that have come our way. And based on that, therefore, we'll live as a living sacrifice. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.